0: midst of World War II, C.S. Lewis gave four radio broadcasts over the BBC, which would later be compiled into a book entitled Mere Christianity. This book inspired my journey to know why I believe what I believe. Welcome to Bear Christianity. Well, hello there. Thank you for listening to this first full-length episode of Bear Christianity. I'm excited to get started. Today we're going to talk about why I believe in a God at all. So, essentially, why I'm not an atheist. Now, spoiler alert, I am a Christian. I believe in the God of the Bible, but today's episode is not why I'm a Christian versus a Muslim or a Jehovah's Witness or a Latter-day Saint, aka Mormon. So, those will be future episodes where I'll cover some of those details. Today is simply why I'm not an atheist. Now, for the purposes of this podcast, remember, this is my journey on investigating why I believe what I believe, so technically, I don't have to convince you of anything. I'm just sharing my journey. so I realize there are lots of different arguments for atheism versus the existence of god, and i and i'm not I don't have time to get into all of those arguments, so I realize that you know I'm just kind of sharing the things that were. Most valuable to me in me sort of making that decision, and so uh, John Lennox, who's a mathematician but also a Christian apologist, he he says the best argument. You know, he was asked this. You know, what's the best argument you've heard for the existence of God? And he he basically said, well, it's it's whatever the questioner is struggling with. So some people really struggle with the heaven or hell concept with God. Uh, you know, other other people will will struggle. You know, lots of different aspects of why people can't quite wrap their head around you know having a belief in God. And so, you know, whatever the argument is, that's what John Lennox said. That's what you need to try to figure out and and then present an argument. So it's going to vary. And so, feel free to email me at barechristianity at gmail dot com. Or you can follow me on Instagram. My Instagram handle is at the real Bear Martin. And technically, there's an underscore between each of those words, at the real Bear Martin. Anyway, leave a question or a comment um, about today's episode, and, and I'd be happy to address that, You know, shoot you an email with some resources or whatever. Uh, if I get a lot of questions on a similar topic, then that may lead to a future episode. And I will never call you out personally. I will just say a listener said. So don't worry about getting called out on the, on the podcast. It'll, it'll be all anonymous unless you, you know, unless you request that I call you out. Anyway, um, now, as far as leaving questions or comments, that brings us to our first special segment of the podcast, and that's called A Bear in the Woods. And so this is where I answer sort of a lighthearted question, so feel free to leave those as well. Just something you want my opinion on. And I had to make this one up because I have zero listeners right now. This is being recorded before anything ever goes live. And so here's the question. It's inspired by my younger sister-in-law and, and her husband. They recently got married. And so I was thinking about this at their wedding. Do we have to write thank you cards for all of our wedding presents? So here's how this, how this works. Okay, Weddings are just expensive. Everything about them is expensive. And so What happens at a wedding shower is the bride has a new dress specifically for the wedding shower and then right beside her is the maid of honor. Now the maid of honor has a special book at the wedding shower and again everything has to be expensive and and I am very bitter about this because I have three daughters and I'm going to have to pay for all this one day. But this book that the maid of honor is holding it probably is gold plated and it has platinum leaf pages in it and she's got a pen that's $4,000 and it writes in space and so she is recording every gift that anyone gives to the bride and groom because after they get married and go on their honeymoon and then they come back and you know they just they have a lot of stuff they're busy they're unpacking their apartment They're they're trying to get used to uh, a new life essentially and it, it's there's a lot of wonderful things about it but it is a busy time now, in the midst of all that, now they have to sit down and they have to write thank you cards for all of their wedding presents. So, they sit down and, you know, dear Mr. and Mrs. Smith, thank you for the toaster. It makes great toast, and I love toast in the morning, and it matches all of the stuff in our kitchen. Thank you. And then that's the first one, and now they have like 250 more of those to do. Now, why do we have to do this? Why do we require married couples to sit down and formally write out thank you cards for every gift that they received. Why can't we just give them a gift, wish them the best, and move on? I, I literally have done this. If I, Sometimes the bride and groom are really busy at a wedding, so you may just get a few seconds. But if I have a chance to talk with them, I will say part of your wedding gift is please do not write me a thank you card. Just enjoy the gift. Why do we have to do this, this thank you card thing? Now, our thank you cards bad. No, a random act of thanksgiving is wonderful. We need to be thankful. And so there's an importance to that, but, but just the formality of it, just that sort of have to do it. Like, like people are sitting around like, well, I haven't got my thank you card yet from, you know, from the new married couple, then it's just ridiculous. That's a, that's a terrible mindset. That's, you might as well not even give a gift if you got to have something back in order to, you know, feel completed. Now it gets even worse with baby showers. Now so getting married is busy enough, but imagine having a baby and now you can't sleep at night and the baby's crying and you're trying to figure out that. Now that is a especially if it's your first child, that's a that's a big deal. And you got to sit down and write thank you cards for all the baby gifts as well. So please, please everybody, let's try to shift the cultural norms and get away from the formal thank you cards. Now that's just my opinion. All right, let me try to reel it in and get back on topic here. So there are several arguments that are made by Christians, or or even just people that believe in a supreme being. We'll, we'll say theist, theist. There are several arguments that are made for the existence of God, and I'm going to mention a few, and then I'm going to tell you my favorite, and that's the one that, um, that we'll talk about the most, okay? So uh, one of them is the fine-tuning argument. So this is the idea that if the sun was a little bit closer to earth we would you know we would burn up if the sun was a little bit further away we would freeze and everything in the universe seems to be tuned and spaced out and and you know just everything is just seems to be perfectly placed for the existence of life and that sort of thing so that's one of the arguments that can be made and if everything is just so complex like that the chances of it just randomly happening is very slim. It, it's more likely someone made it that way. Uh, in the same way, the complexity of nature argument is is sort of along the same line. So the the common illustration was with this one is that if you're walking down the sidewalk and you see a watch laying, you know, in the grass, you wouldn't think, oh, you know, this is probably just a lot of little tiny pieces of metal, and uh, there was, you know, a lot over billions of years, a lot of wind and and lightning and and different you know different things, different forces of nature just cause these eventually to just sort of come together and form a watch so you know that that's a ridiculous way to think, and so when you see a watch, you automatically assume that someone made that watch because it it is complex, you know all the little gears and everything in the watch, and the human body is. That times you know a billion, just so much more complicated. So uh, just to think that we our human bodies just accidentally happened is uh, is a little bit of a stretch. And so that's that's another argument. I am most convinced, however, again, this podcast is about why I'm not an atheist. I'm most convinced that God exists because of the moral argument for God. And so uh, C.S. Lewis, actually, in Mere Christianity, he he uses this argument, and he uses this illustration. He compares—he t- he basically states there are two uh, basic laws, and so he calls the first one the law of nature, and, and so this is just what happens to nature. So he uses the idea of a stone. You wouldn't pick up a stone and say, stone, I don't like you because you should have been a certain way. No. You know, if a stone's laying in a a creek bed, depending on the flow of the river and the, you know, the heat and all that stuff, it's gonna sort of make the shape of that stone a certain way, and and that stone is not responsible for being another way, and we wouldn't expect that. We just we just take it for what it is. That's the way the stone is. Now, so that's the law of nature, says C.S. Lewis, and then he c s Lewis defines the law of human nature as something different. the law of human nature he says it states what we what humans ought to do and this is this uh, another way of saying this is that we all have these objective moral laws, objective moral values or standards, and that's that's what humans expect others to do and so let's let's uh, he, so here's the main argument for for the existence of god using these moral values if these objective moral values exist then god must exist and then you know just we we seem to know it internally that these objective moral values do exist in the world therefore god exists so that's kind of the the logical layout the premise the premises of the um of the argument okay and a simpler way of saying that is laws require a lawgiver so let's talk about these laws we all basically agree on on some fundamental moral truths and michael horner is a a christian apologist and there's i'll actually link a youtube video that is very well done on this argument the moral argument for god and he uses a few illustrations that i thought were really good so i'm going to include them the first one he he's talking to his class and he says you know, we all agree that torturing children for fun is a bad thing. It's a violation of this objective moral standard. But if a if a group burst into our classroom and they said we believe torturing children for fun is a good thing, a wonderful thing, then we we would automatically feel like we can judge them as being wrong. So we you know, everybody has this objective moral standard and so we can say torturing children is a terrible thing and therefore this this group that feels like it's wonderful something is off they are psychopaths or you know they are not functioning as a human being should function something is wrong now what gives us the the feeling or the right to say that they're wrong why Why wouldn't we just say, well, that's their opinion, and we have our opinion, and so I guess we'll just have to part ways there. No, we, we feel very strongly that we can say, no, 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 you are wrong for wanting to torture children. That is is that that is an example of the objective moral values. Another example that he uses is, an, you know, this is maybe a made-up story, maybe it really happened, but anyway, a, an atheist college student is going to write a paper, and he chooses to write the paper that they're defending the fact that there are no objective moral values. So, as an atheist, he doesn't believe they exist. And the student does a really good job. He spends a lot of time uh, preparing, you know, the the paper, and he reads a bunch of books and he cites all of his sources. It's just a really well done college paper. If you if you've been through college, you know that you know at least once a year you're going to have this massive. Paper that you're, you know, having to format properly, and whew, it's a, it's a mess. So imagine going through all of that, okay, and and feeling very passionate about this, and, and you've researched it. The student hands it into the professor. The pre- professor grabs it from his hand, opens it up, grabs his red marker, writes a big F on the front page, hands it back to him, and he says, and the professor says, "I don't like blue folders." Well, the student just loses it. Like how, you know, that's not fair. How can, you, how can you give me an F and you haven't even read the paper? I put all this work into it, and you're just not even going to read it. And the professor says, well, wait, wait a second. I thought that there were no objective moral standards. There, there's nothing I have to do. There's nothing unfair about what I've done here, because according to your paper, there's no standard by which I have to live by. And see so he so he kind of throws it right back at the in the student right so you can say that there are no objective moral standards, but everyone, including atheists, live life as if there are we live life as if we can hold people responsible to live up to a certain basic code that seems to be just built within us we we um we we all just instinctively know it now that does not. Rule out what I mentioned earlier, psychopaths. so sometimes uh, there are diseases of the brain that affect that, and, 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 but in, in general, we all have this basic moral code that we expect people to live by. So I think you know theism, the belief in God, easily explains why this objective moral code exists. Moral laws are a reflection of God's character. He is a good God. And because God created us, then humanity holds to certain objective moral values, and that they were given to us by our Creator. So that's real simple. Now let's do the same thing and look at atheism. So can atheism justify these objective moral laws that we we seem to all have? Uh, for atheism, I'll say most atheism is a, a broader. Definition, but most atheists are are naturalistic atheists or uh, materialistic, meaning they only believe they only believe matter exists. Everything is matter. There's no spiritual realm to anything. So everything is is matter. And now I'm not saying that atheists cannot live good moral lives. There are are plenty of really um, from a basic standpoint good. Atheists they feed the hungry, they help it and start orphanages i mean atheists can can live very um good lives towards humanity. they can be very good people but their their belief you know if they say they're an atheist there's no there's no reason that they should do that if they choose to do that that's fine, but they cannot based on their atheist beliefs, they can't hold people to those objective moral standards. Now, a really good example of this, this is uh, the first installment of Bear's Biscuits. So this like little treats, little things that I enjoy um, that I'm giving to you. The, there's a documentary that's really well done, and it's called Collision, and there's a there's a movie that came out a few years ago with the same title. So when you're searching for this documentary, and it's free to watch on Facebook, Uh, It's called Collision, and then if you put in Douglas Wilson, uh, or you could put in Christopher Hitchens. uh, Christopher Hitchens is a very famous atheist. He has passed away now, but him and Douglas Wilson, who's a Christian pastor, toured, and this documentary is about that tour that they went on and um, has lots of different discussions of an atheist and a Christian sort of uh, debating one another. And it's really well done. It's got some a lot of like behind the scenes uh, sort of interviews. So you see the debate, but then you also see like the limo ride after the debate, where they're just sort of discussing the different points that they were making. And it's it's very well done. So it's called Collision. And if you search Collision Douglas Wilson, it should pop up. Anyway, there's uh, when we look at atheism now. There's three main problems that I see with with atheism and these objective moral values. Um, so the first one, because matter is all that exists for an atheist, then there is no purpose in life. We are a cosmic accident. We, we just happened to be. We are molecules, protoplasm, you know, bumping around in space, and we just happen to become human beings. Uh, so we are no more valuable than a cockroach or a Dog or whatever, we're just the next in line of this you know evolutionary process. there is no worth to a human life. So killing a cockroach for you know just being scary to your kids uh, is no different than someone killing a human being because we because they have the same value there's there's no purpose. Um, so for instance, you know Hitler killing Jews you know who cares there's no purpose in life because the the Jews that were treated horribly they turn to dirt and they remember none of it and hitler turns to dirt and he remembers none of it there there's no purpose in life now along that line is number the number 2 problem is because there is no purpose then humanity has no ultimate goals and so think about a um like if you're if you've ever done like archery in p e class or um, or maybe you enjoy hunting like bow hunting um, or shooting a rifle, people will say, you know, guys that shoot, they'll say you have to aim small to miss small. you know if you if you're not really zeroed in on a certain goal, a certain target, then there's no point in shooting. you know you really have to focus on what your goal is, your target. And so with atheism, there is no goal. There is no goal. We are, again, we are cosmic accidents, so there's no purpose. So here's an argument that, here's how atheists sometimes will try to say the reason we have these objective moral laws, they'll say, oh, it's a process of evolution, and these objective moral laws are good for human flourishing. And so therefore, we all just we've all just kind of evolved to have this standard set of laws that we follow because it's good for human flourishing. Okay. Now that implies that the goal of humanity is for humans to flourish, not just to have a life and and, and create more humans, okay, but the goal is to have a good quality life, some some sort of life of pleasure where people feel that they are valued and they have dignity. Now again there is no purpose there's no goal when it comes to atheism so to say that the the reason for moral values these objective moral standards is for human flourishing well you know who says human flourishing is a good thing who says human flourishing is the goal there's there's no there is no goal and so to say that is is kind of like someone getting in a car and look into the person that's riding in the passenger seat and saying, Oh, you know, don't tell me where to go, because this is the best way to nowhere. They're they're not driving anywhere. So it doesn't matter which way the car turns. Um in fact in atheism, you, no one's actually driving the car except molecules that are just reacting in different environments, and that's what that's what moves us along. And so that's how we went from cockroaches to human beings. I mean, it it's the it's just this. This process that happens, there's no goal. It just that's the way it is. And so, this argument that oh, objective moral laws are are uh, evolved, and therefore humans can flourish. Well, who says human flourishing is a good thing? That's that at best that can be their opinion. So an atheist can have a personal opinion that it's good for humans to flourish, but. You know, just as strong of an argument can be made for an atheist who says, you know what? Humans actually are a bad thing for the universe. There's too many of us. We are tearing up the the earth. We require too many resources, and we actually need to get rid of some of the humans. And And there are atheists who believe that. And you know what? According to atheist views, that is perfectly justified. They can say that because... There is no objective standards. It's everybody's just personal opinion on what they think is best. Now, this third one is the deepest, the, the deepest one, so try to hang with me here, because this one took me a while to sort of think through, but, um, but it also applies to atheists and just the, the inconsistencies with the objective moral standards that we all know exist. So here it is because matter is all that exists we are not actually thinking for ourselves we are simply following chemical processes in the brain so if there is no uh, spiritual sort of um realm if there's if there's nothing outside of just physical properties just just um the the chemistry and the matter Behind you know, the, the matter of the universe, if there's nothing else besides that, then we are all just one giant science experiment. So in science lab, you know you pour this into, you know you pour this into the flask and you heat it to a certain temperature, and then you put something else in, and then you do this, and then you, and, and you get a result that has been repeated. you know that teacher has done that science experiment every year for however long they've been teaching, and they know exactly how it's going to turn out, provided that you, you know, heat it up to the right temperature and you follow all the directions. It's very predictable. And in the same way, if, we, if, if matter is all that exists, then, then we're not actually making free choices with our brain. We are simply following along with what the chemical reactions are making us do. And this this is a this is accepted by some atheists, um, where we it's called hard determinism. Basically, that all these chemical processes are are what is controlling how we act. So we're not actually thinking for ourselves; we are just a result of chemical processes. This makes me think of the the um, the game mousetrap. So if any of y'all have that game, maybe played it as a kid. We have it now with our kids. And mouse trap, you set up this contraption, and then if, you're, if you land on a certain square, then it, you, you know you have to hit the lever or whatever to get it started, and then the ball rolls down the slide, and then it flips the switch, and then yes, you know, big big, big uh, contraption, and then finally this cage falls on the mouse. Now, as long as everything is set up the right way, then the cage will fall on the mouse. Now, part of the trouble as a parent is trying to keep the whole thing set up properly so it so it works. That can be very frustrating sometimes, but um, it, you know that's that's kind of what's happening on a much more complicated s- scale in our brains it, it, from an atheist standpoint. So it's just all these little chemical reactions, and then based on what those are, then we have the outcome. So I hope you're tracking with me, and and so he, so here's the result of that. Because if if only matter exists and we're only the result of all these chemical processes in our brain, then nobody is guilty of anything. There is no right or wrong or good or bad in atheism. It's just the way that it happened to be. So therefore, the child molester can simply say, listen, I'm the result of these chemical processes in my brain, and how can I be guilty for uh, you know, I have no free choice. I, this these chemical processes force me into the life that I'm in. The same thing for someone who commits adultery. So you know, you you cheat on your wife, and you say, "Well, sweetie, I'm sorry, but I'm you know I, I'm just following these chemical processes." Um, so you know, this whole idea of well, how can I be judged if I was born that way? Well, an, from an atheist standpoint. Everybody, no matter the crime, no matter what they do, everybody can make that argument because we are simply following these chemical processes in our brain. So those are the kind of the three, I guess, three big reasons that I find that atheism is very inconsistent with the world that we know and live in. We we all just seem to know that there's these objective moral values. And so um, atheists, you know, the Bible tells us in Romans 1 that everybody that doesn't believe in God is suppressing the truth. And in the next chapter of Romans, Romans 2, it says the law of God is written on their hearts. And so we we all have this objective moral law of God that that is within us, and to deny that, that there is a creator who's given it to us, that, that is a suppression of the truth. Now, why would people want to suppress the truth of God's existence? Well, I th- an easy one, a very easy one, is it. Av- you avoid the thought of ever facing any judgment. You are not responsible for anything that you do. And so, you know, atheists, uh, really, that, that's, that's something that is, I guess is attractive to someone who's considering atheism, is that this is all there is, and there's no big consequences for anything, and therefore live life however you want. You know, be good, be bad—it doesn't matter in the end. So, so there's a freedom from God, a freedom from the judgment of God, in believing that. However, what's what's so inconsistent is that that same atheist that believes that try cutting in front of them. You know, you're at a long line, you know, Walmart. You know, they got like a million lanes, but there's only two open, and there's 50 people in each lane, and everybody's frustrated. And just, just cut in front of that same atheist and 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 what'll happen? Well, he'll say, Whoa, 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 you can't cut in front of me. We haven't been, I've been waiting, you know, thirty minutes to try to check out. And you say, Well, why not? Right? I mean, what moral what standard should I have to live by? See, so an atheist doesn't want the judgment of God. They don't want the the things that they don't want from God, but at the same time they want people to live up to these moral standards, and they have no justification for making those arguments and, and expecting people to live that way. So that's the reason that I'm not an atheist, and I do believe that there is a creator supreme being who has given us these internal laws that we all know and expect others to keep. Now, people hate the thought, of a God who would punish people that do not submit to His commands. And so at the root of it, if we investigate ourselves, we know that we have not perfectly kept this objective moral law. You know, if if there is a lawgiver, then what happens to those who break the law? So we despise the idea of a God who judges us, you know, we... we you, it's easy for us to think, so yeah, I'm not perfect, but neither is anybody else and so so, if we're not perfect, um we get sent to hell that you know that is so unfair that is that is ridiculous, and people hate the idea of a God who would judge and punish people who break that law and so there's, there's lots of different ways we can go with this, but, but for an atheist making that argument, again, you see how inconsistent that is to say that it's unfair? Well, where do they get this idea of fairness? We're a cosmic accident and nothing matters. So this, this internal idea of that's not fair, what they're doing is they're using the laws that, that their creator, God, has given them to complain about God being unfair. That's what's happening. And so in the next episode, we're going to discuss the judgment of God. And so I'm going to close with with this verse. Uh, Isaiah was a prophet who lived about 700 years before Christ. And he has a vision of the throne room of God. He writes about these mighty angels that are surrounding the throne room of God and they're calling out to one another. So this is in Isaiah 6. And I'm going to read verses 3 through 5. So he first is talking about these angels. So they're, they're, they're calling out to one another and they say this, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I, and this is Isaiah talking here, And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts.